Eternal rest grant unto him, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon him. May he rest in peace. Amen. May his soul and the souls of all the faithful departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. William John Caldwell, Jr., aged 48, passed away on July 15, 2018, after a valiant battle with cancer. Son of Barbara Daniels Caldwell and the late William Caldwell, he leaves behind his beloved wife, Robin Curry Caldwell, 12-year-old twin daughters, Anna and Lauren, his brother and sister-in-law, Harry Daniels Caldwell and Clarice Caldwell, his grandmother, Norma Daniels, and a large extended family. Bill was assistant general counsel and corporate director of the Northrop Grumman Corporation. Prior to that, he was employed at the Boeing Company and William Ryan and Fielding, LLP. He served in the United States Navy as a nuclear submarine officer on the USS Hampton, where he was recognized with numerous awards. I could read to you the rest of what's in the Washington Post, but I don't need to because it's about awards and schools. Scott, thank you very much for your opening remarks. What I read to you explains how you came to know him, more than likely. But that doesn't explain why you're here. You're here because of some of the things that Scott, that Scott touched upon. And I understand it's a preposition is a bad word to end a sentence with. Bill went to the, the best schools, right? St. David's School, Regis High School, Northwestern, Duke. You've heard of Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. That's not why you're here. Yes, I was quoting Princess Bride. <laughs> There, there is a goodness about Bill Caldwell that you all experienced. Whether it be in work or in school, law school, a lot of law school friends, I've met several already. The really, really smart kid who isn't kind and good scares the daylights out of you. It's the smart guy who's good that you want to have a drink with. I, there's another preposition ending a sentence. And don't get me wrong, the, the most exclusive school on that list, right, going backwards, Duke, Northwestern, Regis, St. David, is St. David's School. Most of you have never heard of it. At my previous job, I've been pastor here for six years. By the way, welcome to St. John, the beloved Catholic Church. I was in New York City working for the nuncio, for the archbishop who represents the Holy See to the United Nations. I had many interesting tasks. I was not a lawyer. I've never been a lawyer. Had to study canon law in the seminary and tragically almost aced that final exam. No, I, I was the grammar man, hence the self-correcting homily. I was the 
direct assistant to the nuncio, the archbishop, uh, the PO, the permanent observer of the Holy See, or in layman's terms, the Vatican ambassador to the UN. I edited his speeches. I wrote his homilies, wrote some of his speeches, the academic ones, not the diplomatic ones, took care of his correspondence. And among the more interesting pieces of correspondence I ever had to write was a recommendation letter for a five-year-old to get into St. David's school. (laughs) Everything else is protected under the pontifical secret. I can't say more than that. (laughs) Bill had every reason to brag. He had every reason to remind you where he went and how smart he is. I don't think he ever did that. He didn't, well, first of all, he didn't need to, but he also didn't want to because it wasn't about that. It wasn't about him. Now, it doesn't explain why I'm here. I'm here to prove that old adage, give a man a whiskey, a cigar, and make him some barbecue, and you have a friend for life. I don't know who said that, either Bob Evans or Evan Williams, but either way, it was a great man of genius. And it was on the patio just a few times, honestly. You, most of you have spent more time with Bill Caldwell than I did. But over the last few years, um, no time has been more important than the last week. Now, a priest is a nobody. He represents the Almighty, but the priest actually is just a nobody. Because the priest can just swoop in, and all of a sudden, um, he, he represents God. One of my very first funerals for a, a dear, dear old man whose son-in-law was the first Uh, adult that I baptized back 20 years ago. The old fellow was a a, a retired spook. He was in operations at the three-letter agency up on Old Dominion. The kindest old man. He just, in his retirement, he fixed old furniture and played bridge with his old friends from the agency. As he was Entering into the last weeks and, and days, we spent a lot of time together. And in the end, he was in a hospital bed in his, in his dining room just the last week. And I knew them well enough, I would just walk in the door. Didn't even knock, didn't even ring the doorbell. His wife and his, his kids knew me. So actually, as I was walking in, that I think the penultimate visit... His wife and his daughter just sort of, you know, quietly receded back to the kitchen where, you know, some food was waiting for them. And as I was getting just to his bedside, and his wife was just crossing the threshold of the kitchen, he looks up and he, and he says with an energy that he didn't have prior that day, I love you so much. And... It was loud enough that she could hear that he said something, but she didn't hear what he said. So she turned around and said, what, dear? And I I told her, he just said, I love you so much. 
And so she goes up to his cheek and she caresses him and kisses him and, and she says, I love you too. And he, he, he didn't have a muscle to move. He's just lying there, flat on his back, looking straight up at the ceiling. And he says, I was talking to God. <laughs> I mean, how else do you explain the, you know, these last few snippets of conversations in the hospital? When he, as I'm leaving, he says, I love you. I, I love you so very much. Or the next day when I came in and he was being a little naughty, trying to get out of bed, he looked at me and he said, you're the boss of me. You're the boss of me. Which means nobody else was going to be the boss of him. What a, what a spirit. He's, he has hours to live. And he's filled with joy. He, he looks into your eye and he says, it is so good to see you. And he didn't mean that because it was a relief from the people he had to spend the day with. He, he was full of love. And not just affection, but full of Christian love. He knew why a priest was there. He knew that he was dying. And he was happy to see me. A priest walks into a hospital in Rome, Italy, right? It's not where it all started, but that's where headquarters was from the very beginning. Peter and Paul died there. Peter was there for 30-some years. A priest walks into a hospital in Rome, Italy, and everybody is terrified. They don't want to see you. They don't want you to come. They believe the creed. They believe every teaching of the church. They just don't want it to happen to them. Bill was overjoyed that a priest came into his room every day, almost every day. It started well. You know, he went uh, urgently on a Friday. I was there a few days later. And, you know, we started on a good note. I, I asked him if he wanted to be anointed, and anointing for someone who's awake should be preceded by a confession. So I said, you know, how long have you been in confession? Should we, would, would you be willing to do that? And so I asked everyone to leave, and two hours later, we were good to go. <laughs> I have a joke about a deathbed conversion confession, but I can't tell you during Mass, so you'll have to ask me later. Bill, Bill was full of love and full of faith, which means he didn't want to go, but he didn't resent God taking him. I may be a little bedraggled. I had to, I had to run an errand. None of, them, none of you will be uh, sympathetic. I had to run an errand up to the coast of Maine. Very briefly, I was there for about 10 waking hours yesterday. Um, just as Bill was beginning to slip away, I think you were 
getting ready for it any second now. And I was praying, please hold on for a few more days because I have to be in town for your funeral. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't want you to know, but it all worked out. So those extra days of, of torture, you can, you can blame me. I, I pulled in a few hours ago. It gave me the opportunity uh, to pray for, for Bill in a special way. You're all here for a funeral mass, which for Catholics is probably fairly familiar-ish. Um, but if you're not a Catholic, all of this seems a little unusual, perhaps. Um, by the way, when it comes time for Holy Communion, if you're Catholic and you're you know, practicing, then come up for Holy Communion. Um, and uh, if you happen to be stuck in line and you're not receiving communion or, or you're not uh, Catholic, you can put your head down and the seminarian can say, God bless you, or I can give you a blessing. Uh, if you are all Catholic, communion is going to take a long time, so be very patient. <laughs> the funeral mass is part of the liturgy in the same way that the holy mass is the centerpiece of the church's daily prayer life. But as you know from knowing about monasteries and convents, they pray all day long. One of the seven times they get together for prayer is Mass. For priests and sisters who are living in the world, not in a convent or a monastery, in a cloister, we also pray at various times of the day. It's abbreviated, so the book that we pray from is a breviary. And in the same way that there's a special mass for every day of the year and every feast day, those prayers of the divine office, that's what we call it, the liturgy of the hours, those vary from day to day. And on some special days, Sundays and special feast days, all the prayers are unique to that day's divine office, the crux of which is the Psalms from the Old Testament. Well, there's also a divine office for... Uh, for the dead, in the same way that we have a mass for the dead, a requiem mass, we have the office of the dead. Right? Requiem comes from the word rest. The cantor at the beginning of mass, as we were slowly walking down, was chanting in Latin the words, eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. Requiem eternum dona eis domine, et lux perpetua luceat eis. Eternal rest. So last night, just after midnight, I was on my way down from Maine. I pulled into Murray Hill. And so in front of the Church of Our Savior, I prayed the Office of the Dead for Bill. I'll give this to you after Mass. Our Church of Our Savior is where Bill received First Holy Communion as a kid. Um, Maybe it might not have been whiskey and cigars and barbecue that bonded us, but it could have been that I had just come from his hometown neighborhood of Murray Hill, which is on the east side of Manhattan, uh, I lived at 38th and Lex, and you lived at 36th and Lex. So I, Sarge's Deli is down there, and Duke's, and, you know, all sorts of crazy places that have come and gone and burned down and built up. But, so I, I knew his hometown neighborhood. And so last night from about, you know, midnight to 1, 1.30, I was praying in front of the Church of Our Savior, where it all started, right? And... Um, which is not to say this is where it ended. This is not where it ends. That's why Bill was happy to see a priest come to his bedside in the hospital 
knowing that he had days or hours to live. This is not where it ends. That is the whole point of the resurrection. I have great sympathy and, and, and concern for, for, for human beings who think that heaven is just where we all go because we die and we disappear and we, we float somewhere happy. I, I think it's only in the last few decades that large numbers of human beings have been under that delusion. Life is difficult and hard, and for most human beings, it's visited by misery quite a bit of the time. We enjoy enough wealth to think that the afterlife is going to be like our current life. But that's not the average human being. That's an advantage that we can use for the benefit of others. So it doesn't mean... um, that it's a bad thing to be wealthy. It's a dangerous thing. It's not a bad thing. Outside of the resurrection of Christ, witnessed by hundreds of people, followed by the apostles going to all corners of the world, knowing with no ulterior motive that they would be persecuted and killed, for preaching that Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead. Why? To to die for your sins, which is sort of a happy, insulting message, right? You're a sinner. But God died for you, so that's good news. But it's preceded by the bad news that you're a sinner. If we have the humility of a Bill Caldwell to admit, I am a sinner, and I need God. I am not self-sufficient. The Christian message is the best news ever. Because you can put the smartest people together. You can put all the smartest people of all time together. Remember, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, morons. They will not be able to come up with eternal life. They can't manufacture it. It's in, we are incapable of that. We're capable of all sorts of great things because we were made by God with great intelligence and beauty and creativity and a capacity for love. We can do great things. We can't do heaven. Can't make that. But because the apostles went to all corners of the world, the Christian message is still being proclaimed by people who are willing to be persecuted. In many countries of the world, Christians are still persecuted for preaching, for even getting together to pray, depending on what country you live in. Why? Because it matters that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, because that is why we have hope. If he didn't die and rise from the dead, then we should eat and drink and be merry and, and carpe diem and enjoy every day as much as we possibly can, right? H-E double hockey sticks with tomorrow. But we know that's not the reality of the universe because we know, that, A, we know some good natural people who genuinely love human beings. They genuinely love others, which defies the logic of 
How could they love if they don't have any faith? Well, they love because they were made by a God who is love. Imagine what life is like. Imagine how we look into the future when we have that Christian faith that Jesus died and he rose and he ascended into heaven and he wants me to be with him. It means you can fight until you have no strength left because life is good and it came from God. And when it's time to go to heaven, you do so with with a docility and a hope and a love that is beyond just the winsomeness of a beautiful personality. He was made by God and he knew the God who made him. And so Scott, after all the beautiful words that you said, there's only one little tidbit with which I want to disagree. And that is that we are, we are pained for his loss, but we are not worse off. Temporarily, it feels like we're worse off because we're in pain. Every one of you who knew William John Colwell Jr. has a person who you know, whom you desperately want to see in heaven. I'm not canonizing him. I didn't say, I didn't say he's Saint Bill or Saint Wild Bill, which sounds kind of funny. At the, at the funeral mass, there are, in the, in the red book, which is what we use at every mass, in the blue book, which is just for funeral masses, there are two sets of prayers. It's sort of a dirty little trade secret. I'm about to let you in on it. There are a set of prayers for the funeral mass that sound like we're in St. Peter's Square, and this is a saint who's being canonized by the Pope, and we're declaring them to be in heaven. There's another set of funeral prayers which presumes that, hmm, I'm not so sure. It assumes that this person still needs our prayers. And there may still be some stain of sin clinging to this soul that needs some scrubbing. Uh, It will surprise none of you who already know me. I only use the second set of prayers. And I think Bill would want it that way as well. Why? Because he's humble. He, He didn't saunter up to heaven. He doesn't saunter into the presence of God. He knows, he's a, he knows he's a creature, a beautiful creature, a rational, immortal creature, but he knows he's a creature. He's humbled by his sins. It, it pains him when he, when he does something bad. And so the prayers that you have already heard and will continue to hear give us something to do. We are helping him. We can help him to heaven. We have to be pure as an angel in order to even enjoy being in the immediate presence of God. So probably all of us are going to want some prayers offered for us after we die. And it won't be, won't be the express way. But we won't mind that. 
Christ made that very clear when he said, you know, when you're on the way to court, all you lawyers pay attention, when you're on the way to court, make peace with your opponent. Otherwise, the judge will throw you in jail and you'll stay there until you pay every penny. And Jesus never gave us advice about earthly things, so he's obviously talking about eternity. But not only do we have something to do, not only do we have a role and a mission and and a way that we can help him and express our love for him, in addition to our tears and our stories and our laughs, I have a story about the Katano as well on Park Ave- on the other side of Park Avenue, but I can't tell you during Mass, so ask me later. There are lots of ways that you express love. And there are ways that we can help him. And even after this soul arrives in heaven, we can still help him. We can still join our prayers and our sacrifices and our penances and our works of mercy and our works of charity to his work of prayer in heaven. The angels and the saints in heaven aren't sipping whiskey and smoking cigars and eating barbecue. Or if they are, they're doing that and they're praising and worshiping God. And they're praying for us. They're always at work and always at peace. They're fulfilling the mission for which they were made. They're doing that which comes most naturally. Praising and worshiping God. And loving. Loving us. Loving the Holy Trinity. And so as my mom and my dad departed this world, they're buried down at Quantico National Cemetery. You'll have a much quicker drive to Arlington National, but a longer wait over the next few months. I asked them, all right, who should I pray for? I know you want me to pray for your uncle, brother, son, niece, next door neighbor. I'm praying for them. All right, who else should I pray for? Who should I work on? Who should I visit? Who should I send an email? Who should I call? We're still praying together. We're still working together. Last time I was here for a a gathering of Uh, more than a few people for a regular mass. It was for a wedding. Almost two weeks ago. And I I told the bride and groom that as they walk down the aisle and out the door and we see their silhouette, it's as though they're walking off into eternity. Right? It's Man and wife joined for life. And we, and we let them walk, right? We don't, we don't follow closely behind them. We, we let them walk down the aisle to the door, and they get smaller and smaller and smaller. And what's happened now is that Bill took that expressway. He's just gone ahead a little faster around the corner. You don't quite see him, but he's, he's going ahead. It's not, like you've, it's not like you've left him behind. When we were together as a, as a family at the hospital for the first of the anointings, uh, we prayed a little bit and we, and we read a little bit from sacred scripture. And I had the audacity to say that, you know, St. Joseph probably didn't 
um, live to see our Lord's death on the cross. And we derive that from observing the Gospels and how he wasn't there to take care of Mary. Jesus had to entrust his mother to the care of his youngest apostle, St. John, the Beloved. And so we can't do anything but imagine it, but it's not a waste of time to imagine the death of St. Joseph. And, and, the, and his son is Jesus Christ who raised people from the dead. But not his own father. Peter, I already mentioned St. Peter, right? First bishop of Rome. His mother-in-law was sick. And um, they, you know, petitioned him to heal her, brought her, uh, our Lord, to her, to her home so that he could heal her. I have a hard time. This is my imagination. It's also just my devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, our Lord's mother. I have a hard time Mary ever saying, hey, Jesus, I got a headache. Can you do something about that? I don't think she ever took advantage for her own immediate comfort that her son is the son of God. What did she do? We know this because this is in scripture. She suffered even more. Simeon prophesied that she would be pierced because her son was the chosen one, the Christ, the son of God, not just the Messiah, but he turned out to be the second person of the Holy Trinity. It meant that she would suffer even more, not less, because her son the one to whom she gave birth is God. And as we grow closer to God, as God knows that he can bring us closer, he permits us to be more and more like his family. He permits us to be more and more like Joseph, more and more like Mary. He permits us to be more and more even like Jesus Christ, which means a, a, a relationship with God the Father that is very difficult to put into words, It means tremendous consolation and and hope. But we need that tremendous consolation and hope because we suffer even more. So at the Church of Our Savior, where Bill received First Holy Communion for the first time, where Jesus Christ came into his lips and into his heart and into his body to give him a taste of what heaven would be like, So to hear, we come not just to pray and to hear beautiful songs sung slowly, but we come to be witness to the same miracle, the body and blood of Christ turned from, or rather the bread and wine turned into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. And we pray that, that just as something dead, bread and wine, wheat and grapes has been has been has been deprived of life and it all of a sudden has the divine life and it actually really is God. So too that the body of, of Bill, which has been crushed by, by death, at the end of time will rise to a resurrected life just as Christ rose from the grave. And that his soul, hopefully by that time, will have been long in heaven, will, will have an experience of heaven that will get even better with the resurrected body. 
And so you'll notice at the altar that I'm not facing the urn and the Paschal candle as much as I love the Paschal candle and you. We're all facing the same direction because Bill is leading you. Bill is leading you to me. And by now you're probably hoping that he's really going to, you know, kick into gear. Because Bill is leading you to me and I'm leading you to Jesus and Jesus is taking us to heaven. So we're all looking in the same direction. Never mind that the church is circular and that all of you over there are looking in my face. We are all going to heaven. Well, we're all supposed to go to heaven. And because of Bill Caldwell, we have another reason to believe that there really is a God. And Jesus really rose from the dead. And the world really is beautiful. And love really is possible. And death could well, could well very be the beginning of eternal happiness. May it be so. Eternal rest grant unto him, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon him. May he rest in peace. Amen. May his soul and the souls of all the faithful departed, that the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen.